place, and Elk Grove Village uh, before he moved to Bartlett in the spring of 92. Mando was only a few months old at the time, and we had our entire future ahead of us. We moved into an incredible cul-de-sac um, at a time, and it was like a time when everyone interacted and knew everyone uh, with all the other neighbors on the block. It still stands to me as a uh, kind of like a hallmark of this is what a neighborhood is supposed to look like. One of the first families that we met at the time were the Mercurios. They seemed like a nice family, and that was good because they were our immediate neighbors to the left. I remember one of the first conversations I had with the dad. His name was Mike, and I quickly realized how disappointed I was with whom we moved in next to. He asked what I did for a living. And I told him I worked in a computer company and I was kind of in their help desk, uh, technical support team. As courtesy goes, I asked him what he did for a living and he came back and said, he's the pastor of Alliance Bible Church. My heart sank. We moved into our first house and I picked a place where I had to be on my best behavior because I have a pastor, a priest, or whatever he is living next to me. You know, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of sad. Uh, you look back at it now after all these years. It shows I didn't want someone next to me reminding me effectively of the right and the wrong things to do and the way to live. And, but despite that, we became neighborly friends, uh, even though he had this insatiable desire to invite us to all these church-related things uh, that we kept on declining. But over time, we grew fond of them as they intentionally tried to reach out to us and do things like have Star Trek parties, join the, uh, uh, the block parties in the neighborhood, and all the while praying for us that we would come to know the Lord. That time arrived eventually after a continuous effort of friendship evangelism, and I'm sure lots of prayer. The Holy Spirit began working in our lives and putting specific individuals in our lives to draw us near to him. While they were praying for us, I vividly remember sitting in Mass, because we did go on occasion, asking myself that there's got to be more than this, this whole ritual piece. Um, it began a year-long search for truth, and what that means, not only with my relationship to God, but also what does that mean for our family, and ultimately, who our church family Fast forward a little bit, we began attending here at Alliance Bible Church because, because of Pastor Mike and the relationship that he built with us. By this time, Brian was born and Amanda was only a couple of years old. We quickly, maybe not so quickly, but quickly fully committed to the church and started to wrestle with one nagging thought. That thought, or that question was, whether or not to be baptized again, this time by our own choice, and whether or not we should officially join Alliance Bible Church as members. When we had finally set it in our mind to, to make this commitment, we informed Pastor Mike. And when we did, we were hit with shock that shook the foundation of everything we built over the last few years. Pastor Mike told us that he was being called a minister elsewhere. I was immediately devastated and began to question whether or not we were making the right decision and whether or not we should proceed with what we said we were going to do. It drove us into a time of prayer and self-discovery as to why we were making the decision to join the church and be baptized. What became clear to me was the question of 
who am I following? Am I following Christ? Or did I, you know, pop up Pastor Mike, you know, in his place? It was a good question that I believe was prompted by the Holy Spirit and which I had to work out. Ultimately, I and we made the decision to follow Christ and that we committed, were committed to Him and the expression of Him through Alliance Bible Church. As an epilogue to this phase of our Christian walk, one of the last acts that Pastor Mike did before his departure was our membership and baptism into faith. Now, why do I start with this today? With Pastor Tim's departure, just a couple short, not even a couple short weeks ago, you know, it's been, but this week, I was reminded that there might be just a few people here that have not been with the church prior to Pastor Tim. His announcement that God has called him elsewhere came as a shock to most, if not all of us, and part of that, we can't discount the grieving process that we'd be in the midst of, and we are in the midst of. Pastor Tim is part of our family and will always be part of our family. We will be cherished, uh, he'll be cherished for his ministry, his pouring out of his life into ours, and all the memories that we share together. All of that is good. And reflecting on that and the history of our own uh, family um, and with this church body, I want to draw on those memories um, and the history, going on the scripture side, the history of the Israelites, uh, and try to convey hope uh, in a time of searching for answers and questioning what the future holds for us. Today's text directly relates to the change of leadership from Moses to Joshua just before the Israelites were about to enter the promised land some 40 years after wandering in the desert. So let's read today's text. Uh, you can turn with me to Deuteronomy 31, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Okay, it says, Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old. I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord had said to me, You shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you, and he will destroy the nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said, and the Lord will do to them what he did to Thion and Og, the king of the Amorites, when he dis- when, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. All right, to set the context for the text today, we're approximately 40 years into the ministry of Moses where God called them out of Egypt and leading the Israelites out of the oppression that they were under. Over the course of that time, Moses was used by God to send the ten plagues upon Egypt so that they would be set free from the bondage that they were under. They would have their first Passover together. Moses would lead them out of Egypt and part the waters of the Red Sea. Moses was used by God to deliver the law of, uh, from Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai to the Israelites. Moses would lead them through the wilderness. He mediated between the Israelites and God. He brought them uh, to spy out the promised land. Of those that spied out of the land, only two thought that they could subdue the land. 
Joshua and Caleb. Lastly, because of their failure to obey God and take the land, Moses leads them in the wilderness for 40 years until the generation of men that came out of Egypt died in the desert. As it says in Numbers 14, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole land, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt or in the wilderness, but have disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb had a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Throughout this time, Moses was the leader of the Israelites, was the only leader of the Israelites that they had known. They've lived together, worshipped together, fought and died together. And now he was about to pass the baton of leadership onto another. Get to the first point. The leadership change is under God's control. So Moses went and spoke these words. Right? It says, I am 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to come and go. And the Lord said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. So why was there a leadership change? Why was it required? Moses is getting old, 120 years. But that's not the reason for the change. It says in Deuteronomy 34, when he died, his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. I like that uh, medical plan, 120. I'm still going good. However, God told Moses that his ministry would end at the conclusion of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness due to his own disobedience. Turn to me with, uh, to Numbers 20, verse 8. It says, God said, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour out water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their their livestock can drink. You see, after the Israelites rebelled and chose not to conquer the land, they journeyed throughout the Sinai Peninsula and eventually arrived at the desert of Zin in a place called Kadesh. It was here that yet again... Israelites grumbled and rebelled at Moses because they didn't have any water, and they wished that Moses never brought them out of Egypt. They actually preferred to be under slavery than to be set and set free under freedom. That's a whole other thing to talk about. So the Lord told Moses to speak to the rock, though. But in his anger, Moses did not follow God. He did three things in verse 10 and 11. First, he took credit for being able to perform the miraculous. He said, we must bring water on the rock. Second, he struck the rock twice, but God told him to speak to it. And third, he committed this sin in front of all the Israelites, and because of that, Moses could not go unpunished. As it says in verse 12, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters at Meribah where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. Now, this is certainly a completely different reason for the leadership change uh, that we're going through now. However, the main point that I want to convey is that the change is entirely in the Lord's hands as he orchestrates our lives. I remember the day that Pastor Tim told us that he was being uh, called away and back to Iowa. It was like any other day 
busy, uh, and the leadership team was out in front. Uh, they came in from out of town. Uh, we all got together, and that included my boss. Life was normal, busy, stressful, but it's normal. That's my life. On that afternoon, my boss um, and the president then at the, uh, of the Americas uh, told his leadership team, including myself, that he was taking on another role. And a new person was going to uh, take over. Because this was not public knowledge at the time, I had to keep that to myself. We went to dinner together. Uh, it's a, this is what we do. Um, but I left that dinner early because uh, I had to get back here for an SOT meeting that evening. I felt my world changing before my eyes. I came to the meeting. It had already started, and I asked what I missed. Pastor Don said I missed a lot, and he handed me a piece of paper. That paper and subsequent conversation was Pastor Tim's resignation. Both leaders in my life, my work life and my church life, were changing within hours of each other. And it was overwhelming. So overwhelmed for a moment, I was thinking about Job and worried that I was going to become a trifecta and my home life was about to change. Fortunately, that was not the case. How we handle that change, though, is what's important. And it leads me to the next point. What were the people's reaction to Moses' death? We find that answer to the question in Deuteronomy 34.8, which reads, The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. The customs and rituals for a person's death in Israel's history has not changed much and still practiced today. In both the Old and New Testament periods, uh, it's, it's just slight variations, including now. In Scripture, we find people wailing, tearing of clothes, tossing dirt, um, and a lot of those Christians, they go all the way back, you know, Abraham and Moses, uh, but even today, those exist for a Jewish funeral. The time frame, the typical time frame for mourning the death of a person is seven days, called the Shiva for seven, uh, where the grieving is most intense and the people are secluded. The time frame can also vary depending on the degree of loss. An example would be a full 30-day period known as the Shaloshim, which stands for 30, if I say it right, uh, as 30 days from the start of the funeral process. Uh, and that full period is used for someone of a, uh, importance or an immediate family member. And in that personal, in that 30-day period, personal adornment is neglected. Uh, you don't go out the first seven days, but then you can go out after the first seven days uh, during that grieving process. And it can actually go out to a full year. Uh, looking at some examples in history, you know, Genesis 23 doesn't say how long Abraham mourned over the death of Sarah. In Genesis 37, it says that Jacob mourned over the supposed death of Joseph for many days. In Genesis 50, it says Joseph mourned over the death of his father for seven days. In Deuteronomy 20, the people mourned over the death of Aaron for 30 days. And in Deuteronomy 34, Eight, it says the people mourned over the death of Moses for 30 days. While Tim and Judy haven't passed on, uh, they're no longer here with us. For nearly 20 years, they have served this church and have been part of this family. In that regard, you could say that we're also in a period of mourning. In fact, we're technically right in the midst of that 30-day period, depending on how you count it. 
So it's good and it's right to grieve, as I'm sure most of us have if you've known them for any uh, period of time. So let us not be afraid to mourn. Let us not be afraid to show compassion for those that are mourning. For in everything there is a season, including a time to weep, as the writer of Ecclesiastes says. But now you may be thinking, okay, I understand that, but what happens next? For that, we need to remember that God is in control. One of the hardest things for me, uh, this is one of the hardest things for me, because I like control, I like predictability. So if you're, if you're thinking that, I'm right there with you. In order to answer the question about what happens next, let's go back to the text. It says in Deuteronomy 31.3, It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy the nations before you, and you shall dispossess them. What I really like about this verse is that the plan of God was clearly articulated to the Israelites. Moses told them that God had a plan, and he's going to go ahead of them, and the Israelites get to participate with him along the way. Now, I'm pretty sure that there are details that weren't known, uh, but the plan overall is solid. Not knowing the future can be frustrating for me. When we go on vacation, I like to plan ahead, at least have a framework of what we're doing and where we're going. Not to the little gritty, nitty gritty details, but I like to have it organized. In work, everything is aligned to a budget uh, and generally planned out at least months or even a year ahead of time. So when life happens, I turn to God and just hand it over to him. Not link in the text of that. My first reaction is generally to try and fix it. That intersection between faith and life circumstances is always a learning process. I'll give you a few examples of that. Early on in my career, I began looking for a job because I just needed, wanted a change. I don't know how long it was, but I eventually gave up. After giving up on it, I had a meaningful conversation of faith with a person at work. After getting a fax sent to me from Pastor Dave, who was a pastor at the time, the person presumed I was a pastor and gave rise to that conversation. Shortly thereafter, I was let go. But I had a new job before my last day of employment with six months of severance to boot. Don't get ahead of God. When we were deciding that God wanted us to send Amanda to Wheaton Academy, we knew we couldn't afford it. Lynn just assumed it would work out because God said so. I don't understand that. Uh, because I look at it from a pragmatic perspective. The numbers just don't work. Yeah, sad. Okay. Uh, that's, 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 my, that's where I'm weak. Uh, so we applied for a scholarship, but I didn't have any hopes uh, of getting it because typically you've got to have a lower income you know, in order to get it in the first place. The day came that we got the letter from Wheaton Academy. I recall that day vividly, and it stands as one of those altars in life that you set up as a remembrance. I called her at lunch that day, not knowing the letter had come. And she told me that we were denied the scholarship and uh, for all intents and purposes meant that Amanda was not going to go to Wheaton Academy. I then let her know that just an hour or two before I called her, my boss called me in the office with a promotion that exactly covered the difference in cost that we had concerns about, including the difference for taxes. 
the last one I want to share is almost the same story, and it shows that I don't learn very well. And I need to go back and remember these things. Brian started to go to Wheaton Academy as well, but it was difficult to have two people going to school at the same time. To, that, uh, to the point where we thought we would have to send Brian to Westminster uh, just to make it work once again. <laughs> yeah. But once again, drawing on, you know, that pragmatic view and, you know, I don't know what Lynn's thinking or how she can think that way. But it was a challenging time for Brian because we were messing with his life. We even got to the point where he was accepted there. Um, and basically, we signed him up to transfer. It was only then that we came to realize that options existed to host international students. Once again, getting ahead of God and but the people of Israel, they knew that the plan was to enter the promised land. Uh, however, we find Moses reminding them of that and that God's in the one control and he's going to go ahead of them. After being led by Moses for 40 years, I'm sure the question was out there as to what happens next. They're about to cross over and they're going to have to root out and conquer the nation that years ago they feared so much that they had to spend the next 40 years in the wilderness because of their disobedience. And now they have the promised land before them, but without the leader that has been with them until now. How great is it that they had and we have a God that cares so much for us that he does not make us go it alone when life's challenges look scary on the surface. We took, we too are at a sort of crossroads here at Alliance Bible Church. Our leader could not continue to come with us as we reach into Bartlett and the surrounding communities. But God is with us, and he will personally not abandon any one of us, nor will he abandon his plan. You know he has a plan for us, a very specific plan? It's to use his people to reach the world around us, and specifically Bartlett and the surrounding area with the good news. And there is great comfort in that. God is and will always be in control, even though we don't know the details of how he's going to do it yet. For Israel... That plan includes God, or of course it does. That plan includes Joshua. For us, that plan is still unfolding. We live in an exciting time in our church history. Point three, the new leader was chosen. Getting back to the text, it says that Joshua is the one that will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. The Lord will do to them just as he did at Siam and Og, the king of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will deliver them up before you, and you shall do to them according to the commandments which I have commanded you. In the text, there is great comfort to be taken. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead, just as the Lord has spoken. God has ordained, God has chosen Joshua to lead them. With the uncertainty of what comes next for them, but which we have the advantage of hindsight, God is reminding them that he's the one in control and he's the one orchestrating and overseeing that entrance into the promised land. For sure, there are things to be concerned about if you're an Israelite. How do we cross the Jordan at flood stage? What will we expect when we cross over? Who is going into battle? Who won't return from battle? Are we being obedient? Well, we know what happens when we're not. But God reminds them that the Lord will do what he said he would do and they get to be the active participants in it. So who's our next leader going to be? What will it look like? I don't know. What I do know is that he knows 
and that his plan for Bartwick hasn't changed. And that, like the Israelites, we will have a part to play in the execution of the plan because God has chosen to make himself known to the world through the church. Is there any uncertainty? Yes. Are there any unanswered questions? Yes. Is there fear? Maybe. But perhaps it's that only because our gaze is not focused in the right direction. We have the luxury of hindsight with the Israelites and can read all about what happened next. We do not have the same luxury, but we have to do what they did. We step out in faith and we take the next step. When Peter was, uh, saw Jesus walking on the water, he was able to get out of the boat. That boat's very comfortable. Being a fisherman and all, knowing that you drown if you do something silly, like trying to walk on water. But his gaze was on Jesus, and the miraculous happened. Let us keep our faith, or keep our gaze on him. Let us step out in faith and see what God has as the next chapter. Lastly, we're left with this. Two commands that Moses gives to the people. Be strong and courageous, and do not be afraid or tremble at them. Why? For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will never fail or forsake you. Think about it. The last time that they were here, out of fear, out of disobedience, 10 of the 12 voted not to enter the promised land, and they spent four decades in the wilderness. Now the same scenario presents itself again. However, this time, it's really with the children as the previous generation had passed in the desert. Call it Promised Land 2.0. It stands as a key milestone in their history, and it's something that will be recalled generation after generation, even now and even tomorrow. We have the pleasure of looking back in the past and seeing how all the events unfolded. Uh, But they're living it in real time. I don't think Moses would have reminded them to be strong and courageous and not to be afraid unless there's an element of that trepidation and fear among them. And un- the unknown of what lies ahead can spark a number of different feelings depending on the situation and who you are. When we approach, or how we approach that can have long-term implications in our lives, particularly if we're not grounded in God's word and put our trust in him that he's the one in control. Case in point, the Lord told Mo- uh, Joshua after Moses' death in Joshua 1 to keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And yet, that's the great thing about God. He knows us so intimately and loves us so much that it's like a father to a child. He's there saying, don't worry. You can do this. I'm right here beside you. You got it. Hold on to the promises that I made. When our kids were growing up, we used to take them to the pool. And early on, like all parents, uh, we would introduce them jumping in the water, you know, for the first time. And what do you say when they're standing there on the edge? Jump. It's okay. I'm going to catch you. Don't be afraid. I'm right here. And each one of the kids is different. I don't know exactly how each one responded. But one would look and say to themselves, yeah, right. I played in the water, and I know what happens. I'm going to sink right to the bottom. 
And yet another would jump right in fully trusting that we would be there to catch them as they took that leap of faith. Why? They believed we would do just what we said we would do. And so it is with God. It's encouraging for me because he knows that we, uh, what we need and the time that we need it, and he's there saying, right now, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. I am with you, and I will not forsake you. And like Israel, this is not only for us who have been here for a while, but it's also the next generation of us today that are with us today, the new generation, the Amandas and everyone else of the world here. Uh, you are part of this journey together that we're on, and you have a role to play in the future of Alliance Bible Church. Application. I want to leave here today with that to hold on to. This is where we're at as we begin the pastoral search. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. I am with you and I will not forsake you. For many of you, uh, you may not have experienced a changing of the guard in your pastoral leadership, so I want to leave you with this. God has placed the leaders in our lives for a given purpose for a given time. He's the one in control and he remains in control. We just can't see the outcome. For me, each pastor that's been part of my life has impacted me uniquely and has been part of my spiritual development as a Christian. God had placed Pastor Mike in our lives so that he could show us who God is and that and he was used for that purpose as God through the Holy Spirit drew me to himself and enabled Pastor Mike to help us through the questions that we had and ultimately was a key part in becoming to faith. Pastor Dave was with us for only a very brief period of time with Pastor Tim and Ferd when we were going through some difficult times. Through Pastor Dave, I was introduced to the reality of spiritual warfare. Pastor Tim then came along, and he played a long and instrumental role in my spiritual maturity and leadership development. And he'll be greatly missed, not only for his friendship, uh, but also for because he played such a key role in my life uh, in getting to know Christ and building upon that foundation and how to serve him and his people. So what's next? I have no idea. Except this. God will use the person that he has chosen to further his kingdom, to build the believers in the faith, and to impact the people of this community. For each one of us, that's going to look different, yet we get to be part of it. We can't see it now, but that doesn't mean it's not all laid out. We're going to discover together what God already knows. So be strong, be courageous, and not afraid, for he is with us and will not forsake us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and the encouragement that comes through that. I thank you uh, that you are faithful and true, and you hold to your promises that you give us. Uh, so help us to be strong. Help us to be courageous. Help us to go forth from here. Step up in leadership. Step up in reaching this community. Help us to make an impact to the world as we cross over our little, uh, our figurative uh, Jordan um, and take on the promised land here. Uh, Lord, um, help us to be faithful and true. Um, may you work among us, grow us not only in your word, but grow us in our ministries, both in the 
within the church as well as uh, to the surrounding community. Let us not be uh, timid. Let us not be fearful. But let us boldly go out and proclaim the good news because there's a lost and a dying world that needs it. Please use us uh, for that purpose. Uh, we know you already know what the plan is. Uh, and we want to be part and, and delivering that and following through on that. Uh, so I thank you. I thank you for your son. I thank you for your word. Uh, and as we leave here today, uh, may we take that, bury that within our heart, and let it drive us uh, moving forward. I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, we